It's generally accepted that we are a tribal species. We seek group acceptance. We connect and bond with people of shared interests and traits. And we draw deep lines in the sand when confronted by outsiders who do not conform to the group's standards. Frightening ethnocentrism aside, there are many groups which we affix to. Tribes form around religion, sports, politics, class. Music is a great model to showcase this tribalism. A lot of the time, people break off into social groups according to genre of music. Liking a certain kind of music can be seen as complete acceptance for some and grounds for exclusion by others. Our band has been on the receiving end of these strange partitions many times over the years. One particular instance sticks out to me when I wasn't allowed into an indie rock show simply because the person at the door knew our band and the type of music we played. He later bragged about not letting me into the show on a Toronto message board. And also many times in my life, it's been a scene out of West Side Story, where me and another person associated with another music scene, quote-unquote, became friends, and ooh, the scandal, the shock. These invisible lines drawn in the sand meant to divide us are easily ruined if one was to simply take their foot and mess up the sand. Even being in a band can slice up individuals into separate groups. Lead singers will circle each other like the last two vultures at the foot of a carcass. It can be mean and ruthless or simply aloof and pompous. Conversely, Ever watch two drummers meet for the first time? They're almost immediately friends. It's weird. Ask anyone who doesn't play drums in a band if you don't know what I mean. But it's admirable. On the other hand, being in a band can also act as a natural filter that can put you in touch with members of your clan. Many times it's been almost instinctual when I've met certain people. It's an immediate recognition of one another, an immediate kinship an affinity that runs deeper than a shared interest in music. It's as if to say, yes, we recognize and acknowledge each other as part of the same tribe. It's a very comforting, reassuring, and galvanizing awareness. I felt it a few times doing this rock and roll thing. It's always made me feel less alone when having a career that is way outside of the norm and finding out you're not the only one. When I finally met Ricky Warwick of the Black Star Riders, it was quite the build-up. Ricky has always been someone people assumed I knew. I don't know how many times over the years someone has name-dropped Ricky and turned to me and asked, you know Ricky Warwick, right? After it happens over and over again, I kind of couldn't remember if I did or not, and I started to think I did. We made contact on Twitter a few years back, but only met face-to-face -face this past summer at the Rock the Ring Festival in Switzerland. Maybe it was the messages we had already passed back and forth prior to our meeting that helped break the ice, but with Ricky Warwick, there didn't seem to be any ice needed to break. It was a warm and casual meeting, none of the usual tribal posturing that often needs to have happen before any hangouts can occur, which does happen often in this ego-driven music industry. 
The warmth and good nature that Ricky has seems to go alongside the self-assurance he carries onto the stage. If you got it, no need to browbeat everyone with it. You just got it. But with Ricky, I sensed a kinship. We do the same thing for a living, for starters. But it's more the reverence we share for the musics we love that carries over. Ricky Warwick needs no introduction, but just in case you aren't aware, Ricky is probably best known for fronting The Almighty, a hard rock beast of a band that put out seven albums in their 20-plus year career. He's gone on since to carve out a solo career, releasing records under the name Ricky Warwick and the Fighting Hearts. In 2009, he was asked by Scott Gorham himself to sing for a revived Thin Lizzy, alongside Brian Downey, Darren Wharton, Marco Mendoza, and Vivian Campbell. What a supreme honor. He now fronts the Black Star Riders with an equally stacked roster of monster musicians. Scott Gorham, of course, Damon Johnson, Robbie Crane, and Chad Zaliga. They've put out three albums since 2013, All Hell Breaks Loose, The Killer Instinct, and Heavy Fire, and there doesn't seem to be any let-up for the band. So here's my talk with Ricky Warwick. I don't need to preface this any further. You will all hear just how much a good dude Ricky is. I want to thank Blue Mike Microphones and Skull Candy Headphones. I want to thank all the people who have left a review or rating or both in the various iTunes stores. I also want to mention we're on Spotify now. So please subscribe or, or follow to the podcast, whatever you do on Spotify. And uh, thank you so much if you have or if you're about to or if you will. Thank you. Great news for the podcast here. All right. Well, Ricky Warwick is this episode's guest on the official Danko Jones podcast. And it starts now. The Danko Jones podcast is the best around. They play the kid as Danko's go out to love for free. I'm so glad I like to sometimes. Jimmy in from fucked up. Stop playing. Hang down. Down. Gentlemen, boys and girls, get ready because the Danko Jones podcast starts. Now. Hello, Ricky. Hey, Danko, can you hear me? Yeah, man, can you hear me? Yeah, loud and clear. How you doing? Good, man. I'm doing good. Great to hear you. You too, bro. Did you have a good uh, holidays, new year and all that stuff? Yes, yes. It was chilled out and relaxed. Right on. <laughs> How about you? Right on. We, uh, we all went back to Ireland. You know, my wife and, and my daughters, we all headed back home. And we did two weeks there and it was great. Uh, you know, went to see my mom and, you know, all that kind of stuff. It was really cool. It was really nice. Thank you. Really good. So is your wife Irish as well? Mm-mm. Oh, God, no, not at all. No, she's from Texas. <laughs> okay. 
But as far away from Ireland as you get, born in, born in El Paso and uh, went to school in Dallas, you know, and then she was an army brat, so she, she lived in Germany for quite a while, so, uh, ah. she, you know, but yeah, yeah, no, she's, she's full on Texan. <laughs> oh, yeah. Yeah, just like I was going to ask you about how you ended up in L.A. How did you? Was it music wow. related or was it, was it, you know, kind of more uh, because of uh, family or, or? Right, right. Um, you know, it, it was, I guess a little bit of both, but more, more for love than anything else, to be honest with you. I was, uh, I was on tour with Def Leppard and, and those guys took me out for most of the X tour that they did in 2003. And it was just me solo acoustic. And, uh, you know, it was, it was an amazing tour and we were playing in, in, in L.A., and I was signed to Sanctuary Records at the time, and uh, I had to do a dev promo before before the show. And this 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 girl came down to take me. He worked for Sanctuary to do promo, and I just remember going being blown away. This girl's so cute and she's so nice, and we just we just hit it off, you know. Anyway, did the show. Nothing happened. Six months passed. I went back to Ireland. I was living in Dublin at the time. I came back to play the Hootenanny in Orange County, and you know. I, a good friend of ours, Dale James, picked me up. I know you know Dale really well. Oh yeah. He picked, he picked me up from the airport, and he said, "Hey, you want to go and see Christina? She's she's a you know scientist. She asks about you all the time." And I was like, "Oh man, she was really sweet. Sure, let's let's stop in, you know." And walking through as you do, you know, you, you used to go in the record companies back in the old days. They had all the little cubicles and everything in the offices, and you sort of go through the maze of, you know, I'm, I'm hearing the, I'm hearing the Jesus lizard blasting out of this office, and I'm like, man. <laughs> Jesus, Jesus, those are one of my fucking all-time favorite bands, you know. And I'm like, that's so cool. I wonder who's playing that. Boom, it's Christina. You know, if I needed to be any more in love with her, I was. And that was it. I kind of never left. That was 2004, and we hit it off. And you know, we dated, and I flew backwards and forwards. And I just bought a house in Dublin, and you know, I, I gave it all up. And, and I just thought this is the right thing to do. And you know, 2005, I moved to LA permanently. And uh, you know, we've been together ever since. We're 12 years, 13 years married this year. So I guess it was for love. Wow, that's amazing. There you go. And how there you go. What I gleaned from that story was who knew Del James was Cupid? <laughs> Del James has been responsible for so much stuff in my life. I'd say ninety nine percent of it good. Um, but <laughs> you know, I met Del when I was first here with the Almighty way back in the day and, and right. we hit it off. I've known Del like almost thirty years and as you wow. know I, I know you know him really well. He's such a great guy. Yeah, he's the best. Del is yeah. the best, man. Well, that, okay, that, that kind of satisfies that uh, query I had. But now you're in Black Star Riders, and everybody knows Black Star Riders, but Scott Gorham lives in yeah. London, am I right? <laughs> yeah, yeah. So yeah. how does that work? Because I'm always curious, you know, now we live in an internet age that mm-hmm. we can pass files back and forth, and sometimes I do, you know, I sing on albums that I, I haven't even I'm not in the room with the bands so it's like right. an Apple commercial so how is it with yeah. you guys that's that's exactly for us with I think without the internet it wouldn't work because we all live in different cities well myself and, and Robbie were here in, in Los Angeles although he's on the other side of the city you know Chad are drummers in Pennsylvania Damon's in Nashville and like you said Scott's in London so there's a lot of internet stuff and doing your homework you know we'll get together usually we'll, you know Depending where we're touring, uh, that's where we'll rehearse. If we're starting a European tour, we'll rehearse in London. Right. But we'll have a set list sent out, you know, a month beforehand, and everybody will do their homework. Uh, and the same way for writing, you know, Damon and I, just we just send files backwards and forwards, and then we eventually get together and, 
and go through everything that we've got. And right, it, well, you know, it works fine. Right, Dame, Damon is is uh, he's in Nashville. He's not in L.A. He's in Nashville. Yeah. Wow. Okay. Yeah. Yeah. Wow, that's crazy. So <laughs> now, uh, if you could take me through the whole, I've always wanted to ask this, and I'm sure you're tired of this, but. If you know, it, it seemed like things were moving along, and I know I was in touch with what you guys were doing through Richard Fortas when when Thin Lizzy was up and happening. He was letting me know what was going on, but then Black Star Riders came up, and everybody really embraced the Black Star Riders group. What what was that transition about, and how did that come about? What, what were you guys thinking about the transition? Cool. Well, you listen, I never, I never, honestly, I never get tired of answering that question because it. It's such an amazing thing to be be a part of and, and, and the whole thing. Basically, as you know, you know, Scott put Finn Lizzie back together. And yeah. And it was myself, it was Brian Downey, Darren Wharton and Scott, and we had Vivian Campbell and Richard Forrest and then sort of Damon joined on a on a permanent basis. And we were having a lot of fun. The shows were going really well. You know, when Scott put it together, basically Danko was supposed to be just one tour. It was supposed to be a UK tour and that was it. And it went so well we were three years into it, you know, and we were playing everywhere. Yeah, over the world, and it was great. And you know, everybody's going, "Hey, you guys should write some stuff." And and, and you're sort of feeding in that. You know, you're in that bubble. You're out there, and yeah, you know, everybody's a bit of a writer and wants to write. And we thought, well, maybe we should write some stuff. So we started writing some songs, you know, and and they sounded great, and we were really happy with them. And you know, a lot of people are going, "Well, maybe you should do an album." And you know, suddenly this is going to be the first Thin Lizzy album, and you know, in, in 30 years, the first Lizzy album without Phil. This is going to be great. And then suddenly it was like, shit, hang on a minute. What are we doing? The first Thin Lizzy album in 30 years, even bigger, the first Thin Lizzy album without Phil. I think, you know, the reality, the white elephant in the room suddenly was was, was very apparent. And we just went, look, this is, this is almost sacrilege. Playing these songs and keeping them alive in the live situation and going on tour is one thing. But to go in and record without Phil yeah. as a fan, you know, it's, it's a weird thing. My, fucking my... my you know, my head's going, this is going to be amazing. You're going to be on a Thin Lizzy record. It's going to be so fucking cool. And my heart's going, what are you doing? It's Phil. It's Lizzy. It's your heritage. It's it's the soundtrack of your youth. It's what you grew up on. Mm. You can't go there. Right. And there was a bit of that. And there was a bit, and I could see Brian getting a bit edgy. And, you know, Phil's estate getting a bit edgy. And suddenly it just all felt very, very wrong. Right. We actually had a meeting and we just said, look, you know, we, we can't do this. We shouldn't be doing it, and we can't do it. And it was as black and white as that. And I think at that point, Brian was like, well, you know, what do you guys want to do? And I, I'm, I sort of said, well, we've written these 15 killer songs, you know. I, I, I'd like to record them under another name. And, and Scott was felt the same way. And, and Damon, too. And even, even Marco, who was playing bass at the time. Hmm. And Brian just went, well, you know, he said, I don't really know if I want to be a part of what that involves, the touring, the, the promo, everything that goes along with it. He said, I'm just going to, I'm going to step aside and, you guys carry on. So, you know, we had obviously tons of interest from labels who thought we were going to put it out as Thin Lizzy. And, you know, at least 80% of them <laughs> ran like hell when they heard, you know, we were changing the name. But the one label that stuck with us and, and didn't really falter too much from what they'd actually offered us initially because they loved the songs was Nuclear Blast. And we just decided we'd call the band Black Star Writers and we'd go in and record these songs. And we just see what see what happened. We just take it from there. You know, we didn't know if anybody was going to like it, if it was going to work, if it was going to, you know, anybody was going to get it. If we'd even like it, we just we got these songs. Let's go record them. Let's put them out under another name. 
throw caution to the wind and just see what happens. I, you know, now you guys are three albums deep. I think it's it was definitely the right decision, but not not because of you know treading on thin Lizzie ground, although that might have something to do with it. But I also think that as a as a guy in a rock band playing rock music in 2018 now, I really feel that rock and roll music today has been relegated to this kind of nostalgic, almost like jazz, you know, uh, where people look at it as old timey music. And what needs to have happen is a scene as, as, as vibrant as the punk rock scene and the heavy metal scene. And with you guys starting a new kind of chapter with Black Star Riders, you guys were automatically the leaders of this kind of new rock scene that I'm Thank you. I, I want to talk about, like, I want to talk yeah. about and, and turn into a scene. So when we saw each other at Rock yeah. in the Ring this summer, I really yeah. felt like, you know, a kinship to you guys before I even met you guys, because of you course. guys are out there doing the rock thing when everybody's got their eyes on other genres of music, you know, and we're two entities just keeping, yeah. you know, being very relevant and being new. That's and, the word. Yeah. The word is, you know, and we're obviously, you know, big fans of everything you and, and the boys do, you know. And, and when we started, you know, I, I love The Clash and The Sex Pistols and Stiff Little Fingers as much as I love, you know, Lizzie and Motorhead and, and DC. And I, I always like bands that have got something to say or they're edgy or they're relevant. Obviously something that's, Phil had an abundance, you know, mm-hmm. which is why he crossed over so much. Yeah. And we were very aware of that star in Black Star. I said, I just don't want to be another, I hate using this term, but classic rock band where we churn an album out so we can go on tour. The idea was right from the start, we set up, we said, if this does work, we'll eliminate the Lizzie tunes as we go and try and get our mm-hmm. own identity. That was always mm-hmm. the plan. Right. You know, we were always going, we have to be relevant. We have to have something to say. We just don't want to sound like we're tired and, and we're old even though we are tired and old. <laughs> <laughs> you know, and, and I think we've achieved that. And I think that, that every record is a statement of intent. And, that, you know, it's, it, doesn't, it, it, it's, it doesn't sound like our age, you know what I mean? We're still hungry and we're still passionate. And we still, I, I believe, are doing it for all the right reasons that we, that we started doing it for in the first place, you know? And, you know, I... You, yeah, sorry. Sorry. Go ahead, bro. Well, I see that there's lots of, you know, kind of new bands, new rock bands now coming, kind of really citing Thin Lizzy as an influence. And then, yeah. you know, there's a hierarchy because of the, the uh, you know, the, the people in Black Star Riders. It's an automatic respect that I think those new bands give you guys. And it, 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 it still keeps the, the, the spirit of, of Thin Lizzy alive. And it influences and and galvanizes newer bands to keep it going. And with sure. newer bands, I think it it becomes youthful again, and re- like we talked about, relevant again. And and that's you know that's that's the thing is another thing you mentioned. You know, like a lot of punk rock influence. I found you to be. Uh, I I could really um, identify with your situation, being someone. First of all, who fronts a band. Second of all, is in this kind of weird state where punk rock, heavy metal, and good old rock and roll are all mixed into your bag. 
Yeah. And it's the same thing with me. I feel even though we both play in rock bands, I play in a rock band, but shit, man, there's so much punk rock and heavy metal that that plays a part into what we do. And when I see someone like you who kind of wears it on their sleeve, so I know that you you have these influences, it's it's another way of going well when I saw the Black Star Riders sign on your dressing room before you guys got to the uh, festival grounds mm-hmm. and the, you know, the close proximity we'd mm-hmm. have the whole day together with, I kind of had a feeling we'd all get along. Yeah, no, me too. And, and just because of everything you said, you know, reverse that to, to yourself and everything like that. And, and that's, that's great when that happens, isn't it? You just know there's something you're going to meet. It was the same for me with Andy Cairns from Therapy. Obviously, we had the advantage of both growing up in Belfast, but we didn't know each other. We grew up in different parts of Belfast. Right. But I knew and he knew that when we met, because of our influences and our attitude, I knew I was going to hit it off with the guy. You know, And, and that's that's just amazing when that happens. Um, you know, and Obviously, that was a great day at, at Rock in the Ring. But yeah, I mean, I, I'm sure like, like you, I, I listen to so much stuff. I listen to you know, I probably one of my most favorite, uh, you know, music of all time is Northern Soul, and and I, I I'll throw my hands up. I steal so much, so many melodies and ideas from those stacks of old Northern Soul records, mm. and the Motown stuff. There's so much attitude and, and soul and power in those in those songs, and the playing, you know, the rhythm section, that stuff's just amazing. No, oh, yeah, so, yeah, absolutely. You know, you got to cast your net right. Really, you know, I think that's what young bands need to do. They need to sort of, you know, listen to everything, you know. As much take it all in like a sponge. Well, there's, there's been there's been such a stigma with rock music uh, that we've noticed. Maybe it's something that's just only in North America, or maybe just in Canada. But um, it's such a it's viewed as such a throwback music that people who are getting into music and who in the punk strains and the metal strains they look at rock bands and rock and roll music as something like their uncle or their dad listened to, <laughs> you know. And so I yeah to to you know and here we are we're playing it yeah. and I and I'm I, and I'm thinking I mean I don't have the time or the effort or the the effort to just tell every single one of them well I I listen to punk rock too man I grew up listening yeah. to punk rock but this yeah. shit is going to you're going to get into this shit give yourself 5 more years and you'll find this shit and yeah. so when I see someone who wears it on their sleeve like you do I'm like yeah Right he on. gets it. That that guy, you <laughs> see that guy over there? He gets it, you know? Yeah. So I knew that when we saw each other in Switzerland that day, I mean, all the bands backstage were getting along. It was, uh, hands down, we all talked about it afterwards, our favorite day of the summer. Oh, of, man, I think it was probably ours as well. Me too, you know? It was yeah. just my cheap trick and, you know. <laughs> Bonnie yeah. Tyler and... Tyler, yeah, man. Yeah. <laughs> oh, jo- oh, John Fogarty. John Fogarty, right? Yeah. <laughs> yeah. Yeah, I mean, come on, you know, right? Yeah. yeah, it was great. It was great, and and our drummer uh, Rich, he he got to hang a little bit with Kenny Arnoff, so he was oh, in man. seventh heaven. So yeah, no, yeah. that was great. There's not great about festivals when you get such an eclectic bill like that. It just throws all all different kinds of bands together. But always, you know, you know, so many legendary bands on that bill that you know we all love and were influenced by. It was just, it was great. I loved it. What a great day. We were the first band to arrive on the grounds, as we usually are. We always like right. to get there early. And sure. so when I saw how they laid it out and I saw you guys next to us, <laughs> man, it took it was like two hours of me uh, just peeking at your at your dressing room to see if you guys right had come. You know, yeah. you guys have, have they arrived yet? 
But we were there at like we had breakfast at catering. Like we were that there that early. Did you, did you met Scott before? Thank you, Scott Gorham. No, I had not. I think I went up to you that day and I said, "Hey, can I meet Scott?" <laughs> you, uh, and you did. That's right. I remember. Yes, yes, yes. Yeah, I was pretty. Uh, yeah, it was a big moment for me. And then, yeah. I, 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 when I met him, I'm like, "Fuck! How am I going to get a photo without seeming like a cheese bag?" Yeah. <laughs> <laughs> but he's so. That's the thing with Scott. You know, he's such a legend, but he's so approachable and. And he just personifies cool. He's just one of those guys. He's a, he's a rock star without even having to try, you know. And, and you know, I, I love him and I hate him for it, you know, because I have to work so damn hard at it. And he just does you know. <laughs> well, so so aside from, like, uh, was it through, like, uh, you know, the Almighty and, and, and from all that that you got in touch with Scott? Like, he knew about the Almighty? Like, was that just an easy, you know, meetup or... To, to no, you know, again, it's it's a really kind of funny story. Um, my 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 ex wife, my first wife, used to present um, Headbangers Ball in in Europe back in the day, oh. and her name her name is Vanessa Warwick. And uh, Scott's wife worked at MTV in Europe, and uh, I met Scott's wife through her. You know, and, and Vanessa goes, "This is Christine. You know, you may you may have heard of her husband. He's Scott Coram plays in Philadelphia." I was like, "You fucking heard of him? Come on, you know." <laughs> When can I when can I meet him? And uh, great story. Um, we it was Donington. I think it was Donington 1991. The Almighty had just been signed, and things were just starting to sort of really happen. And MTV were going up to to film the day, and uh, I said, "Well, I'll come along. I want to see the bands." I think ACDC were headlining that year, and we were in the hotel, and, and my wife, my ex wife, had to go up to the the, the site early. And she said, you know, Scott, Scott said he's going to give you a ride. And I was like, oh, my God, Scott Gorham. Like, you know, meet him in the hotel bar at midday. So lo and behold, I walked down. There's Scott Gorham, you know, in all his splendor. And we just hit it off. He'd heard of, you know, he'd heard of the Almighty. But obviously, I just started, you know, racking his brains about Lizzie and everything. And he's just such an affable, lovely guy and a true legend. And we drove up in his uh, in his car. I remember driving into the... Uh, the backstage parking area and the bass player Floyd from the Almighty was there. He'd been he'd been there all weekend with his girlfriend, and I just couldn't work that better. He saw me driving in. He was a massive Lizzie fan as well, and he just saw me getting out of the car with Scott Coram, and his jaw was like fucking just on the ground, man. You know, so, that's awesome. And that was it, you know. And then and, you know, Brian and Brian Robinson was there that day as well. The Thin Lizzie had just put out you know dedication, the best of. So, uh, oh man, it was just a great day. So, a friendship developed, you know, and. Mm. Uh, we keep in touch over over the years, and then when I was doing the first solo record, my first solo record in Dublin back in 2003, Joe Elliott was producing it, and Joe had bumped into Scott at something in in, in London, and invited Scott to come over and play on the record. You know, Scott came over, stayed for the weekend, smoked it on guitar, play, ended up playing like five six tracks, hit it off, stayed in touch, and the phone. I mean, right at the blues, January. You know, I was right about this time, um, eight years ago. The phone goes one morning and Scott's like, hey, bud, you know, what's going on? I thought he'd just call and see how I was doing, as he did, you know. And he just goes, yeah, putting the band back together, I want you to sing, you know. And I'm like, the band, what band are you talking about? You know, he goes, yeah, Lizzie. And I was like, fuck. Wow. Wow. You know, and I said yes straight away without, yeah. thinking, about, without thinking about it. Oh, Yeah. You know, and it's funny, and it's too, and you know, and he talked to me, and he talked about how I wanted to present it, and and how I want to do it. And I said, look, Scott, you know, I'm so honored, but you know, I'm not going to be auditioning, am I? 
I'm not up against. This is going to be like an X Factor thing where I'm up against. He went, no. He said, it's yours. It's yours to lose. So no, no pressure, right? Right. So um, put the phone down, and, and there's two people I called, and it's funny. The first one was my wife, and the second one was Dell James. Really? Yeah. And I wow. think if Dell, I think if Dell had told me not to do it, I probably wouldn't have done it. Right. Right. Yeah. He, he's a good you know, person to bounce shit off of. Very much so, and he. You know, I'm, I'm, I'm my wife as well. You know, my, my wife just said, she's like, you know, what have you got to lose? She goes, if it doesn't feel right, you can walk away from it at any point. You know what I mean? So, and Dale said, yeah, you got to do it. Absolutely do it. You know, you got to do it your way. You got to be respect, you know, all the stuff that obviously um, you, you have to do when you take on something of that size. And that was it. You know, and we had a rehearsal in London um, about three months later. We, we did about six songs. And Scott just pulled me into side, said, "Yep, sounds sounds killer. It's it's yours, you know." And I couldn't believe it. Crazy, crazy. Now, now surreal. I want to ask you about being in a band with Scott Gorham. So you obviously have, you know, this the way you look up to Scott and this respect for him before yeah. you you join a join up in a band with him. Now that Black Star Riders is writing original material, and you guys are writing and recording i know it's you and damon who do a lot of the sure. songwriting sure. but what happens when there's some sort of creative um i don't know not conflict but like you guys are just uh, i don't know it happens when you're writing songs or being in a creative yeah. environment um uh i mean for me when i put myself in your position whatever scott gorham's gonna say I'm just gonna <laughs> listen. You know what I mean? Even if I don't agree. So how do you how 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 do you maintain that? Like how can is that even a thing for you? Or you just go? No, I, I Scott. Always you're... I always remind myself. It's a great question, by the way. I always remind myself that this is the man that said the boys are back in town would never be a hit. <laughs> so you've got that in the back of your mind. It's easy to go. Eh, I'm not really feeling. Like Right, bro. You know, no. It's we're very diplomatic, and, and every and and to, you know, we get on great. We really do. We're very we're very blessed in that in that um, regard. Yeah, yeah. He, he, David, and I just were so full on. Scott's just chilled. He's earned the right to be that you know senior ambassador, you know, king of coolness. He's earned every right in that. We're like, you know, we're just, me and Damon are just throwing stuff at each other all the time. It's constant. It's it's, it's bombastic because um, we're both songwriters. We're both songwriters in our other bands. And then Scott will just walk in every album with four or five riffs that are just amazing. Right. And that's it. He'll, that's Scott. You know, that's Scott Gorham. Here, there's a riff for, you know, Soldier's Time. You know, there here's the, an intro riff for Heavy Fire. Boom, you know. And, and that's how it works, really. You know, Scott's not really... The, the guy for sort of sitting down and, and uh, you know, working on the whole song, he just go, I got this riff. And the riff is usually something you just build the whole song around. It right. Like, you know. Okay. What if Scott came in and he gave, gave you five lemons? You just like, could you go up to him and go, Scott, dude, I don't know, man. Well, you know, <laughs> Scott, <laughs> Scott's very, um, very cool in that way. I think he knows. Right. When something isn't working, right? You know, right. he's not like you know, screw you, I'm Scott Gorham. You know, right? You don't know what you're talking about. This this has to be on the record, or this ha this has to be in the song. He's like, if 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 everybody else isn't feeling it, he'll go along with. It. As you know, 
I have to and, and, and Damon has to, you know. I mean it's just that's part of being in a band, right? You gotta you gotta be democratic, well supposedly you gotta be democratic. Um you know, it's not easy sometimes. But he's very he's very laid back and I think he knows when something is good or, or you know, he feels it as well. So there's never usually a problem. Right. No, I mean I don't mean to push any buttons or anything. No, man. It's, it's cool. just something I think about when I I think about you guys. Yeah. It's like, you know, I think, you know, obviously in the start when we were a little bit more in awe. Yeah. Right. Now that, right. I, now that I know him yeah. intimately and I've spelt, spent the last five years, you know, being in this company for, for six months out of every one of those years. Yeah. Uh, you know, he's not afraid to tell me stuff and I'm not. And, and Scott's been one of the biggest believers and, and one of my dearest and best friends for, for, for many years. Even when he was in the band, like I said, he'd always call, you know, and check on me and, and see how things were going. So um, I love him to bits. He's great. Maybe people can put themselves in the position if they're not Lizzie fans. Think of like your favorite band, and now you're jamming with one of those dudes. I mean, right? It's incredible. Like it's amazing. Yeah, um, I mean, I, I think I had a lot as well. You know, as you do, I was very much going, "What does he think of me?" Because he hmm. played and wrote with, in my opinion, the greatest rock and roll frontman of all time. Right. What must he think of me? And and that was tough to be honest with you you know that that weighed heavy on me certainly for a while and i kind of had to get over it and got to go well i'm me and and mm. you know i just got to let him think what he thinks of me if he if he thinks it's great he, or thinks it's shit he'd tell me mm-hmm. which he right. does which he does so you sort of had to move on from that sort of you know you're always aware i mean phil is very prevalent all the time in in our lives even though i always say that thing i've never learned so much from a dead guy in my life right from just from just studying him and, and his lyrics and his poetry and, and, and reading about him. Cause I felt I had to know him as intimately as I could to, to, to stand beside those shoes. You know what I mean? And of course, anybody who knows about Phil, I mean, Philomena is always there and yeah. have, I think we, you and I spoke about it at rock in the ring, but um, what, 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 uh, you know, how does Philomena think of uh, what's gone on in Black Star Riders and stuff? And are you in touch with her today? Um, I'm not in touch with Philomena, you know, um, for no other other reason. She's such a wonderful and uh, gracious lady and, and was so sweet the couple of times that I have met her. I'm just very respectful of, of her, giving her a space and, and, and it is what it is. I think she's I think she really likes Black Star Riders. I can only talk about the time that she came to see Thin Lizzy, which I think we we discussed mm. it. Yeah, Rick, yeah. Which was the most surreal, most nerve-wracking thing I think it's ever happened to me was was playing in Dublin at the Olympia Theatre and, and out of the corner of my eye, you know, Philomena was in one of the boxes and I could sort of see her on the periphery of during the whole gig, but I couldn't, I couldn't bring myself to look at her until the encore. Of course, and, yeah. You know, like as I said, when I looked at her, she was standing up, clapping her hands, and she had tears in her eyes. And you know, I just thought, oh God, you know, I, I must have done okay. Thank you. And then after the show, uh, we went back, you know, to the backstage area, and she immediately just beckoned for me to come over, and sat down beside her and just just gave me, like I said, the, the most massive hug. Uh, you know, and just said, thank you so much. I really enjoyed that. Phil would really, really have enjoyed that. And she told me a couple of things, which I think I've. I've, I've I told you, and I don't. I don't really want to ever mm. go public. But she said a couple of things to me, and all the justification that I needed came out of Phyllis that night. 
for, for, for me, you know, carrying on the tradition of playing those songs. So that was just wonderful. And I, and I thought that was it. I don't need to call her. I don't need to, you know what I mean? Hmm. You know, that, that, was, that was enough for me. And uh, what a great woman. Yeah. Um, the few times I've met her, she's um, the largest character in the room. Right. She, she like all these hardened rocker road dogs. Yeah. She's got them eating out of her palms. It's amazing. <laughs> it's amazing. Yeah. 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 So cool. Um, I wanted to talk about another guy in your life um, that I'm also a fan of, um, Joe Elliott. Right on. Um, and he seems to be uh, someone who's, you, you know, you've gone on tour with Le- Def Leppard, like you said. He produced your solo albums and stuff like that. Um, producing, being produced by Joe Elliott, who has been produced by Mutt Lang. Um, mm-hmm. Do you feel like so- some sort of like Mutt Lang, I don't know, uh, what, what's the word I'm looking for here, but... Just some sort of, I don't know. I've heard how Mutt Lang produces records. Sure, sure. And does that bleed over to, to how Joe Elliott approaches it, or is it much looser? It's much looser, but, I mean, there's definitely a little bit of that in that he's, um, you know, a perfectionist to the point. But mm. but Joe's very much like you and me. He's, you know, he loves punk rock. You know, his his all-time favorite um, artist is Ian Hunter and Mott the Hoople, but, he you know, he loves the New York Dolls and, and Johnny Thunders and, and Big Clash fan. And, you know, he's just, he's a music junkie. Yeah. So he instantly got what I was trying to do, the sound that I was going for. Um, and, you know, he knew there had to be a certain looseness to, to, to the feel of it. Um, and he was very in tune with that. And, you know, we just had a laugh because he's such a good friend. Mm. Um, you know, it was more of that than anything else. But, you know, when it came to doing vocals and stuff like that, he pushed you really hard. And he actually got me got me to sing, you know, I was a guy in the Almighty that, that could shout and shoot, you know, I just shouted. Yeah. I just shouted the melody. That was what the Almighty was all about. And I, I believed that everything had to be, you know, screaming into the mic and shouting as loud as I can until yeah. I gave myself headaches. <laughs> and Joe just, you know, and Joe just said, you don't have to do that anymore. He said, you, you, you know, you've done it. He said, sing, just sing. You know, you can get the point across, you get your legs across, you don't have to yell them, you know, just, just sing them. And that's what really sort of, reignited I guess my career because I was really sort of floundering for a couple of years before Joe came along and sort of you know took me under his wing and, and, and gave me that guidance and and he's just you know I can't say again I can't say enough good things about what he's done for me as a friend and as a mentor you know have you seen that movie Hysteria which is the I have. you have that's, that's filmed in Canada right <laughs> oh it was I didn't even know that but it makes sense yeah apparently it was yeah apparently they filmed it in Canada I actually watched that with Joe. Oh, <laughs> the really? night that it came out in his house in Dublin. Yeah, me and him, drunk as skunks, we watched that, and he kept going, "No, that's not right. Oh, that, that's kind of right. Well, that never happened. That, that's sort of, you know, it was fucking hilarious." Oh my god, because there's a scene, and we quote it all the time, whether we're in the studio, especially when we're in the studio, <laughs> and right. they're with Anthony Michael Hall as Mutt Lang, and they're doing "Bringing on the Heart Heartache," and. Um, Joe Elliott's just like sick and tired of of what Mutt Lang's putting him through. And then Mutt Lang goes, I'm just I'm just the map, man. You guys are the ones who got the treasure. I'm just the map. I'm just showing you the map. We quote that fucking scene awesome. all like almost every recording. Yeah. Um 
So I, I, I was going to ask you, like, did Joe Elliott pull out the, I'm just the man. I'm, I'm just no, the you man, know what? I got to ask him about that. <laughs> it's been so long since I watched it. I got to go and watch that movie again. Oh, so. yeah. Yeah. Um, I think that's the only time I ever watched it was, was with Joe that night. But you know what the funny thing was? I mean, you know, as cheesy as it is, as it was, when that came out, their record sales went through the roof even more the next week, just after that would been aired on VH1, which was insane. Like they, wow. like they needed to sell more records anyway, but you know what I mean. <laughs> yeah, like they needed yeah. more. <laughs> but Joe's a good guy. Joe's one of these guys that will just jump on a plane. You know, you're pl- I'm playing. I'll phone and say, where are you? I'm playing in Liverpool tonight. Right. I'm coming. I'll see you later. And they'll just turn up at the gig, you know. Oh, my God. That's awesome. You know. Just, just as a fan, he, 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 you know, when when Ian Hunter tours, he he goes on tour. Ian Hunter just follows him around. <laughs> He's brilliant. That's cool. We yeah. played with Def Leppard once, uh, five years ago. I would pass their dressing room, and I could see Vivian Campbell just go like just practicing on a little kind of practicing. Yeah. Man, I just was too shy to go into their world and say hi, but. Man, that's the only thing. I should have just had the balls to just go up to them, yeah. but whatever. They would have loved it, you know, because they're they're so approachable. They're very they're all very sweet guys. You know, you know. I met Phil Collin actually, and he was a super mm-hmm. super nice guy. Yeah. So that was great. That yeah. Was great. Um, yeah. but yeah, so th- yeah, that 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 was something that, that was very interesting about about look having Joe Elliott be kind of a a big figure with your solo career and and now going out on tour with Def Leppard as a a solo, you, you went acoustically, right? Yeah. How it was, was it was that? Thing. Well, I just finished up the, the record with Joe, and you know we'd got uh, we got a deal for it, and and you know everything was going really well. And I'd only done about eleven or twelve solo acoustic shows, so I was still very much learning how to do it, and and I was still a bit unsure. And Joe sort of said, "Look, you know, Leopard have got ten shows." Midwest, West Coast, just before Christmas. This is 2002. He said, "You want to come out and open them?" And I was like, "Yeah, yeah, you know, you're, you're joking." He went, "No, seriously." He said, just "Come out and, you know, do 40 minutes, and we'll see how it goes." So, you know, I find myself flying to Las Vegas to the Mandalay Bay Hotel, um, and and I'm walking on stage by myself in front of 12,000 people. With an guitar. And just, you know, I, I, I tell this funny story that their tour manager at the time, great, great guy called Malvin Mortimer, he introduced me. And I remember walking onto that big stage. I had the feeling I was shrinking. And all I could think about was by the time I get to the microphone, the mic's going to be too high because I've, I've shrank so much and I won't be able to sing. You know, <laughs> you know weird shit like that. Yeah. And I, I did the gig and, man, I tell you, I, I didn't open my eyes once. You know, I, I, one song would finish. I just went into the next one. I didn't give people, you know, because yeah, I know what it's like. I've been there. You know, you're at a rock gig and the guy walks out with acoustic guitar and you can hear the audience groan. Now, here we go. Some fucking bullshit. Singer, songwriter, feel my pain. Right. Woe, woe is me. Crap. I, I, I hate it as much as the next the next person. So I was like, I got to get on there. I got to look like I'm beating the shit out of the guitar. And, you know, the way Steve Earle or somebody wouldn't really put everything mm. I've got into it. Right. Which I did, so I came off and, and, and Malvin pulled me aside and went, that seemed to go okay. Did the, the rest of the tour, which was amazing. And then Joe just said, he said, look, we're going out, you know, for a year. He said, it's yours, You're, you know, it suits us, there's no other band. we got to deal with getting their gear on off stage. Yeah. You know, we can travel on our bus. 
Wow. And 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 that was it, you know. And it was just all all my Christmases rolled into one. It was just a, yeah. a wonderful experience, you know. And I, it was it lasted a whole year, and I toured all over Europe and I think two tours of the states with them. Jesus, uh, it's insane. And ta- and taught me so much as a performer and a musician, as a frontman, mm. just trying to, you know, because you're basically as you know you're up there on your own and you're just, you know, that's it. Fuck. <laughs> I, I remember what that sounds like. That's an amazing story. And I mean, Def Leppard are one of my... F- I, I forget that Pyromania is one of my favorite albums of all time. Great record, yeah. So, yeah, I always forget. Um, and when we, were, when we opened for them, it was us and Foreigner and Def Leppard. Yeah. And uh, I had to fucking do it, man. I didn't give a shit. I go, hey, everybody. I said, welcome to my show. <laughs> <laughs> And I said, well, if we get kicked off this thing, it doesn't matter. We're only opening up for them for one show. So he would have loved that, man. He would have thought that was was hilarious. Joe's got a great sense of humor. Yeah. Yeah. I actually, I won over a lot of the crowd who were unsure of us after that. So that kind of helped. You could kick ass. I'm not surprised. (laughs) It was, it was good that it kind of broke the ice a bit. Yeah. Um, but yeah, so so th- there is a, uh, this movie that you and Joe are also in. Is this happening? Is this coming out? The bridge. You know, it's it's not. You know, the the guy that tried to put it together, tried to get crowdfunding. I guess it didn't come together. You know, there was a lot of it, you know. I've listen. I've no aspirations to be an actor. It was just you want to be in a movie with your buddies, the Joey Santiago, Joe Elliott, you know, yeah. Al Jurgensen from Ministry. I thought, yeah, that sounds fucking great. I'm you know, yeah. awesome. And it just never seemed to get off the ground. And I guess as time went on, um, I know he tried to sort of do it again. I just sort of said, look, bro, you know, I, I gave this time and effort and I'm sorry it didn't work out for you, but, you know, I can't uh, I can't be involved anymore. So I've actually stepped away from it. I think Joe may have as well, mm. uh, which is a bit of a shame. I just got involved because it sounded like fun, you know, because you know, all these other great rock and rollers that I love were, were going to be part of it. So I thought, yeah, you know, so... It never happened, you know. Oh, that's maybe that, maybe that's a good thing because I think I don't know if I would be any good at acting. <laughs> yeah, you know, I I found out right away when we started doing music videos. I'm not cut for this, man. <laughs> <laughs> it's a whole different game, right? Oh yeah. What what weighed on me was that everybody was waiting for me to pull off whatever line or whatever thing I had to do. And if I couldn't do it, we just have to stay there until I did it. And that was too much fucking pressure. I couldn't handle it. You You know, rock and roll gets a lot of credit for being tough and, and hard, but actually it's a fucking cakewalk, man. You fuck up. Oh, it's rock and roll, man. Exactly. Exactly. (laughs) So yeah, that's uh um, but what, what's in store for, for you now? Cause you got so many things on the go, I would say black star riders, but really what is in store for you? Yeah, it is. It's mostly black star riders. We, um, we start, we go out with Judas priest, um, in, in America and Canada as well. Oh, we start, fuck. we start that on March 14th is the first show. It's us Saxon Judas priest, which is amazing. Oh my God. Yeah. So, well, uh, oh, we're, we're, we're stoked. That's that's about a two month run as well. It goes right on in, into May, um, and then we will probably do a few festivals. Probably not as many as last year because we I felt like we did 
every festival known to man last year. Yeah. Uh, I know we're, we're, we're scheduled to headline Steelhouse Festival in the UK, and we've got a couple of European ones. And then I think August, September is, is album number four time, back nice. in with Nick Raskolinich in Nashville. Oh, cool. We did an album with Nick. He's a great dude. Isn't he great? I didn't know he did an album. Which album did you do with Nick? We did Never Too Loud with him. Oh, we, right. We cool, did it with man. 606. Yeah. Uh, He's Gabe, awesome, isn't he? Oh, man. That guy is a laugh riot. Yeah. We, he's, 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 we he's, had a blast. We just pretty much laughed through the whole session. Yeah. yeah. He's good. I mean, this is our third time working with him, you know? Um, we do the album with him, and then we get Jay Rustin to mix it. Oh, just, Jay Rustin. He's a Canuck. Yeah. He's a Canadian dude. That's right. That's right. And, uh, you know, it just works for us. You know, it's like, why change it? You know, it's... Yeah. That It's good. We know each other now. We can fight. We can argue. We can laugh. We can get <laughs> drunk. We can get stoned. We can do whatever we want. And it's just, you know, there's definitely a good relationship there now. Oh, that's yeah. great, man. That's really cool. Thank, and, thank you. So that's the, that's the plan. And then beyond that, you know, we'll see what happens. Well, shit, man. If I'm in town and Priest and Saxon and Black Star Riders You're hit there. town, I'm, I'm so there. I'm so I am so there. Those are three bands that I could sit through and and Thanks. want more from. Well, so. I think Toronto's on the. I'll send you the dates. I think Toronto's definitely on there. Oh, that that's gonna be wicked. The new Priest song kills. It's so, great, isn't it? Yeah. So I'm ready. I'm ready. Cool, man. Yeah. Cool. Well, thanks a lot for this, Ricky. This was amazing. Uh, this thank, is all... you, thank you so much, bro. It's so great, you know. And like I said, myself and, and, and Damon and you know, huge fans of what you guys do. And, oh. and you know. Thanks, man. It was so much fun hanging out with you guys, and and uh, hopefully we can do it again soon. And I'm I'm if we're in town, man, I'm gonna see you at the show. Definitely, definitely. Cool, man. Cool, bro. Well, thanks, Ricky. Thanks for this, man. Oh, uh, thank great. you so much, brother. It's it's an honor to be on your show. Thank you. Oh no, honor to have you on. Yep. Have a good tour with the priest. Thanks, mate. All I'll right, be man. in touch. Yes. Okay. See ya. Bye-bye. Bye bye.